my kids were playing the game hide and seek. They wouldn't play hide and seek growing up, or maybe still today, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's like corporate hide and seek. I don't know what you guys do in lunch breaks, but it made me think back when I was a teenager and I would play hide and seek with my friends, but as you become a teenager, your hide and seek becomes more adventurous, and so one of my friends had property. Uh, we grew up in a small, I grew up in a small kind of farming town, so there was land everywhere, lots of cornfields, lots of woods and stuff. And so um, as a teenager, our, our friends would get together and we'd play hide and seek, and of course we'd do it at night, because that's scarier and we were stupid. So, um, so we would go and we would play, and we would take turns, and, and I went and they found me, you know, being 6'5", doesn't help you in hide and seek. It's like, I'd be on a tree like this. I'm like, they won't see me. Okay, it doesn't, doesn't work, okay. So then my buddy's turn, he goes, and we're searching for a while, and he decides, you know what, I'm kinda hungry, I'm done. And so he goes back into his house, starts eating Doritos and watching TV. Didn't tell us that he was done. And so I spent a really long time roaming his backwoods looking for someone that was not there. It was just, it was just seek. There was no hide. I just played seek and for a long time until I had to use the restroom, went inside, and I saw him sitting right there. I'm like, Taylor, what are you doing? Whoa, I got hungry. And so, <laughs> good times. But <laughs> now anyway, I wasn't in that moment. But here's, here's my fear is that I, I wonder how many of us, when it comes to pursuing purpose and meaning and treasure and going after things of the world, we're trying to actually seek after something that doesn't exist. It's not there. We're trying to live up to a standard or have enough popularity or wealth or money, and we're seeking after something that we think we need when we're not gonna find it. Think of the YouTube song, you know, and I still haven't found what I'm looking for, you know, and so it's a great song. And so, um, and I actually in, was researching um, just because I was like, a song popped in my head, and I looked it up. And actually, when they wrote it, uh, they found an inner city gospel choir who took it and sang it. And there's this really cool collaboration. And one of their older YouTube documentaries actually talk about how they collabed together with this gospel choir and how actually there's a lot of spiritual overtones and undertones in the messaging of it. But how many of us are just searching for something that we haven't found it? There's another story about uh, dogs and dog racing, and this is a commentary on good or bad with dog racing, just, it exists, okay? And so these dogs were racing, and what they do is they line them up, and they put this, like, mechanical rabbit out in front, and when the gate doors go open, the mechanical rabbit takes off, and these dogs chase after that rabbit, and it, it goes across the finish line, and, you know, first one there wins. Well, one time, there was a race, and the mechanical rabbit broke, and it stopped mid-race, and the dogs caught the rabbit. And so they caught the rabbit and they all just stopped and were just kind of like, hmm, now what? <laughs> what do we do now? And I think on the other side where some people are just seeking, seeking, seeking and not finding it, not finding what they're looking for, I think there are other people who they finally obtain what they thought they needed and now they're left wondering, 
what now? Is this it? I thought I needed this promotion, this position, this possession. I thought I needed these things. I have what I thought I needed and I still want more. This morning, I wanna talk to you about spiritual treasure hunting, going after what matters. And specifically, I wanna talk about the tension that comes and the connection between two seemingly unrelated ideas. One is treasure, and the second is trust. This week marks a year, a year from when we shut down. It's wild. March 11th, got home from a small group or growth group. Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz got COVID. The NBA shut down. And two days later, we announced, oh, we're not having church. So we didn't do church on March 15th. And we're like, well, we'll get together soon. I think everyone's projection has been off at this point. I remember thinking with our team, I'll have a really conservative projection and say, we'll, we'll be ready in August and September. And here we are a year later. See, the past 12 months has been a, a massive test in trust because so much is broken. Think about it. You, you put your trust in an industry, gets shut down. You put your trust in financial stability. So many people lost their jobs. Entire industries stopped. You put your trust in health. And now it just completely feels and looks different. You can never sneeze in public again. <laughs> I actually, uh, the other night was out shopping with my wife and uh, which means my wife was shopping. I was trying to find random sports-related stuff in the store. And uh, we were in the checkout line, and there's this cute little baby in front, and I, I love kids. I just love kids, and I love making kids laugh. And this little baby was there, and, I, and I'm pretty animated and ridiculous and goofy, so I'm usually pretty successful at making babies laugh. And so I started doing a, ah, ah, and like this baby's just, like, man, this is really hard. I'm like, and like, if you don't know I'm talking to a baby at this point, it just looks really weird from a distance. And I'm going, and then all of a sudden it hit me. Facial expressions are a lot tougher with a mask on. And so while in my head, I'm like smiling, and I'm laughing, I'm like, ha, ah, all the baby sees is. I'm like, yeah, I think I'd be freaked out too. And I think back to, I wonder how many children are gonna grow up and just use like masks or normal. Like this is just a weird time, right? This is a weird time. Some people put their trust in a political system or leader or party. We saw that challenged. We see social norms challenged. This culture where it seems like every, everybody's getting canceled. Everyone's angry. You idolize one side, you demonize the other side. And here we are a year later and we're not sure who to trust. 
But trust is the currency of relationships. That's why honesty is so important in a relationship because if you're not honest, you question whether or not you can trust someone. And so (laughs) trust is actually directly connected to our pursuit of treasure. And here's what I mean. If you're taking notes, write this down. Spiritual treasure is measured in trust. Spiritual treasure is measured in trust. In other words, how valuable something is is based on how valuable or reliable something is. Like how much can you really count on that? Can you really count and, and see that person or that organization or that thing come through? Because in the last year, we saw everything come down. And so we're left wondering, what are we searching for? What are we seeking after? When we get that mechanical rabbit, like, what, what do we do now? Like, what, who do we even trust? Who do we turn to? Does truth even exist? Well, we're in our series, Adventurous Life. We have this guy, Paul, who is writing from prison to a church in Philippi, and he's trying to tell them how to have joy. And in Philippians chapter one, we talked about how difficult circumstances can rob your joy, and that the key there is to have a holy mind. And then in Philippians chapter two, we talked about how difficult people can take your joy, and the key there is to have a humble mind, And now in chapter three, we're gonna talk about how things and possessions and materials of this world could actually take joy from you. But the key there is to actually have a hopeful mind. Here's what I mean. In in Philippians chapter three, verse 17, Paul writes this. He says, brothers, he's writing to the church at this point. He's saying, join in imitating me And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who is he referring to? Well, in chapter two, he gives the ultimate example of Jesus. And then he even talks about, if you want to read the end of chapter two, he talks about a guy named Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus and and some awesome examples. He's saying, look, live like those guys or even follow me. Well, why should we follow Paul? It's because Paul is the extreme on both sides. If you wanna measure oppression or you wanna measure worldly success, he's got both those things covered. Here's what I mean. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this. He's saying, are they servants of Christ? So I'm a better one. Now I'm I'm talking like a madman. I, I, I probably sound like a crazy person. But it says this, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments and countless beatings and often near death. Notice what he's gone through. Five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was once stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I feel like being shipwrecked once would be difficult. He went through three in a night and day, I oh, if that wasn't bad enough, I spent the night and day adrift at sea on a door like the t- Titanic. So, no, just kidding. 
there was room on the door, right? I know I've said that before, but come on. All right. So he spent a night and a day adrift at sea. I was on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposed. And apart from other things, then there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. All right, who's ready to get saved? <laughs> now, what he's saying here is like, look, I have been through it. Shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, in prison. I have been through so much. And yet I, I can sit here in prison and tell you, hey, here's how you find joy. That's, that's the guy I wanna listen to, right? I don't wanna listen to the guy that has everything going right for him, that's never had any issues, everything's been given to him. Hey, let me tell you how to have joy. Oh, thanks, right? Have you ever had that someone came on TV and they shared their thoughts or opinion? Like, yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Yeah, you really understand everyday life, right? Do you even know how much like a gallon of milk costs? You know what I mean? Like, you, have you ever sensed that? Maybe it's just me and my bitterness. Um, but do you know what I'm talking about though? Like, like, do you really know what it's like? Do you know? Paul knows. Paul knows. The old Nike commercial about Bo Jackson, Bo knows. Paul knows here, okay? That's one side on oppression. But now notice the other side. We're gonna go back to Philippians. Philippians chapter three, verses four to eight. Now, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, okay, this sounds really braggy, but this is, it makes an incredible point. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to a law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So he's saying, look, you want my resume? You want my resume? I was born in the right family, born in the right house. I was, out of all the tribes of Israel, I was in the best one, went to the best school, got the best grades. Like, here's my resume, and here's what he goes. That's how much it's worth. He says, but whatever I gained, I had counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss. That's all the suffering we just talked about. I suffered the loss of everything, of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's saying this world is not gonna satisfy. I've had extreme pain and I've seen extreme profit. The only thing that matters is Jesus. 
Solomon in the Old Testament, who was seen as the wisest, richest man who ever lived, got to the end and said, everything under the sun is vanity. Now, Paul doesn't just simply say everything is completely worthless. What he says is, I count them as worthless compared to, compared to the treasure that is of knowing Jesus. Matthew chapter six says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. It doesn't say the reverse. It doesn't say where your heart is, then you'll find treasure. And what you treasure is what you love. And the gospel that compares the gospel, the kingdom of God, to a man who finds a treasure in a field. And he goes and he sells everything that he has and goes back and with joy buys that field because he knows it's so much greater than anything he could ever imagine. In the middle of chapter three, he goes on to say, not that I've obtained everything, but forgetting what's behind me, I press on to what is ahead. So it's almost like I count everything in the past as lost. I count everything in the future as I press on forward. And then, then we're gonna see his focus on the future. And he, and, he, and he says, and notice this pleading, this heartfelt cry, he's not mean. It's not, he's not going like Simon off the old school American Idol who would just have someone who would sing and just tear him to shreds and all of America would go, yeah, get him. Like, oh, that's kind of harsh. You know what I'm talking about? Not, okay, we'll move on. Watch what he says here in verse 18. He says, for many whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, there are people that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We're gonna pause here for a second. Notice this verse. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. Fast forward 2,000 years, present day. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their desire or craving. And then people actually glory in things that are shameful. Does this not describe our culture right now? How often do you turn on shows that are promoting a lifestyle or choices that's based on, you can't tell me what to do? Church, we live in a culture where someone just posted this week that they weren't gonna have a gender reveal party for their baby because they're gonna let them decide. <laughs> oh, okay. We live in a culture that not only tolerates sinful behavior, but celebrates it, glories in it. It says, I don't care if I'm going to hell, it's gonna be a party while I go. But if you've seen that, if you walk that, 
can I just ask you a very genuine question? I don't mean this in arrogance. I didn't mean this in just very genuine pleading. How's it working for you? Not talking like publicly successful, like you just bought your fifth Tesla and everyone's jealous and you're everything on the gram, you're getting liked and shared and you're like, oh yeah, I'm successful. No, I'm talking about when you put your head down on your pillow at night, how's it working for you? Because see, possessions and the pursuit of possessions actually ends up flipping the story to where now your possessions ultimately own you. And either you buy stuff that you can't afford to impress people that you don't like for a future that you don't even know what that you want. What Paul's saying here is that's hide and seek without an object to actually find. You're just gonna seek repeatedly. Their minds are set on earthly things. But scripture teaches us, the Bible teaches us to treasure God, to treasure him, to seek first the kingdom of God. He doesn't call money and possessions evil. He's saying, don't put your trust in them. This is where treasure and trust is valuable because your treasure your earthly possessions here will not save a marriage. Will not save your kids. They cannot and will not save your soul. Egyptian kings would oftentimes be buried with their treasure, thinking they can take with them into the future. They can't shared this before, but I'll say it again. Living life is a lot like playing the game of Monopoly. It doesn't matter who wins or loses. At the end of the day, all the pieces go back in the box. Yay. That's <laughs> so inspired. Thanks for coming to church. You're dismissed. No. Um. <laughs> John, that's not super joyful. Okay, but until you understand what you need, you're not necessarily gonna know that you want it. So I'm glad he doesn't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there and say, the world's coming to the end, everyone's glorying in their own craving and they're glorifying their own shame and everyone's gonna die. No, he doesn't stop. He goes on in verse 20, he says, but our citizenship, our value, our allegiance is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly, pathetic, earthly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power, the same power, mind you, that just conquered death itself by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It's by that power we are saved. It is by that power that we live, that we are sustained. And it's in the power of God and in the spirit of God that we find joy. Spiritual treasure is measured in trust. And so the question is, how much do you trust God? Again, having possessions, not having possessions, it's, that's not it. 
That's the point, right? It's not it. You're asking something maybe even good to be God, and they're gonna fall short every time. So how, does, how do we apply this? How do we find joy? How do we not be possessed by our own possessions? Three, three helpful tips here. Number one, remember your true identity. Your citizenship, your allegiance, your value, your name is based in a relationship with God. And there is nothing Satan can do to touch that. No pandemic, no persecution, no resume, no promotion is gonna change that. You are loved as you are right now. Changes everything, doesn't it? If you seek first the kingdom of God, you don't have to seek your value and your worth from other places. You can now go into your business, into the neighborhood, into whatever conversation, into your family, and not try to get something from them, but you can walk in and give something to them. Sometimes life feels like that TV show, the game, The, the Wall. Have you seen that? Super stressful, by the way. It's like people are winning and losing millions of dollars based on how the ball falls. Sometimes that's life. Like on one hand, my eight-year-old son is in a parking lot and found 20 bucks on the ground. That's a great day, right? Next thing I know, a friend of mine, 23-year-old, out of nowhere, Goes in for an appointment, gets something else checked out. Oh, just kidding, it's not routine. You have leukemia. It's in chemo. Boom, overnight, changed. That's life, though. The good, the bad, the surprise, the pandemic. But when your trust is in Christ, that is secure, and you are anchored for the future. Second thing you can do is you can create a spiritual trust fund. How trust funds work on the basic level, I'm not a financial guy, but basically you wanna create a legacy of your wealth. So you invest it or you entrust somebody to invest it for you so that you have future beneficiaries, right? What if you created a spiritual trust fund? you prayed for and you invested in and you shared and you did devos with and verses with and worship with and took them to church, what you're doing is you're creating a legacy, a trust fund. Hey, hey, you're putting some spiritual deposits in the bank so that when the world hits the fan, I'll just leave it at that, you have years of investment to hang on to, to carry you through and that lasts well beyond you. That's what Paul did. I count everything lost compared to knowing the God who created and saved me. And the last thing is make the right trade-offs. Life is a series of decisions and trade-offs. Saying yes to one thing means you have to say no to others. 
And that's across the board, right? If you're in a dating relationship, say no to go too far physically means you're saying yes in your marriage. Say no spending money financially now because you're saving is because you're saying yes for what I want later. No, I'm not going to do this so I can do that. Yes, I'm gonna read my Bible and it's not necessarily gonna make sense right away, but if I start making that habit and that rhythm pretty soon, that changes and shapes my character. I think the church has been too worried about being relevant. When what Paul's saying here is truth is always relevant. And if you hang on to that, no possession, no thing, no suffering, no position, no title, good or bad, can touch you. Because your identity is secured in him. Because your spiritual treasure is ultimately measured in trust. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. God, we live in this tension of this divided world and a culture that celebrates sinful behaviors and a culture who celebrates destruction and shame. I'm not angry at that. I, I, I feel sorry because we have a world of people searching and searching and searching but God, nothing in this world will satisfy. The only thing, the only person that will satisfy our souls for eternity is you, Jesus. Because when we get that, it changes everything. It changes our attitude. It changes our lifestyle. It changes our generosity. We are no longer possessed by our possessions, but we give freely because you gave freely to us. That when we face difficult health battles and financial battles and relationship battles, we can have perseverance and endurance because, God, you are with us. God, we magnify your name. We lift up your name. We know that if we are in a fire, you are with us. God, we know that if we go through suffering, it is to transform us, to become more like you. And in that is why we come. God, we don't watch online or gather in a room just to say hi to someone. We want our lives to be transformed. It's been a year since this pandemic started, God, but may this remind us that this world is short, this life is a mist, but God, with you, everything can change and eternity has just begun because eternity with you doesn't start the moment we die. It starts the moment we know you as Lord and Savior. That means we can have joy now. That means we can have life now and purpose and love. And so we give everything we have to you. We sing to you, we, we give to you, we serve people that frustrate us, we love people that might 
ignore us or frustrate us. Why? Because you loved us. You didn't sit on the sidelines and wait for us to come to you. That while we were sinners, you came to us. You died for us. And because you rose, we can rise, God. And so it's in that power, in that strength, in that eternal blessing that we find our treasure and we fully trust in you. We love you, God. We give this day and this life to you. You are our treasure. Thank you. In your sins, and we pray. Amen.